Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you. Um, you that have joined us again this morning, I'm excited to be introducing a new series here at Strength to Strength called Political Ambassadors. Um, so far, we have four topics lined up under this theme. And this morning's session is Political Ambassadors, Politics, Culture, and Kingdom Church Planting, brought by our brother Dwight Nisley. So we'll open here with prayer. Then after that, the time is yours, Dwight. And uh, yeah, maybe start off with a brief introduction of yourself. And then after uh, Dwight has finished, we'll open it up for some comments or questions you might have for Dwight. So be thinking of that throughout the the talk here this morning. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, opportunity this morning to uh, come together in this way and to discuss this topic about the kingdom of God. Help us, Lord, to to have our hearts open and learn what we can to be better ambassadors for you and uh, be with our brother Dwight as he shares. Give him wisdom and clarity of mind and, and fill him with your spirit as he shares what he has prepared. Help us, Lord, to be um, little Christ on earth in our communities as we go through life day to day and uh, be a blessing. Mm. Those around, especially those who are in need and, and looking for something better than what their life has to offer. Pray that you would go with this uh, meeting here today, guide and direct and, and bless it. If I pray against your will, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Dwight, time is yours. Well, good morning to all of you on this uh, early Saturday morning. I'm not sure the best way to introduce myself, but I would say that I began as a small country farmer boy in the plains of Kansas and uh, had really imagined myself to probably be a country boy the rest of my life and uh, thought I would also get out of school as quickly as I could to end the suffering that I sensed it was causing my life at that point. And uh, yet somehow for the last Uh, 30-some years of my life, I've been teaching instead and in the classroom most of my life. And at this moment, I'm in a classroom in Brooklyn, New York, and um, came to Brooklyn at the age of 35, single. And then the Lord blessed me with a wife three years later, and we've raised our family here in Brooklyn, New York. Um, We're renting in a small uh, one-room uh, one bedroom uh, house with three children and uh, there I suspect sleeping at this moment and it seemed like maybe being several blocks away from the house in my classroom here would uh, assist their Saturday morning rest a bit better than if I tried to do it at home so uh, you will see the classroom setting behind me I've been teaching here this is the 25th year of teaching in Brooklyn and uh uh, this has kind of been, my classroom has kind of been what I would consider kind of the sanctuary or the um, chapel or the, the place where um, 
the the bulk of my time in ministry occurs. And so um, you're kind of seeing the room where God has called me to. <laughs> in terms of the the uh, presentation for this morning, I really do appreciate the uh, the series title, uh, Patriotic Ambassadors. Um, something I've been thinking a lot about recently and in the past number of years, I'd say since the elections of 2016, I've become increasingly worried, saddened, concerned about what seems like an increasingly deepening political involvement and investment, not only in the broader evangelical church, but I would say uh, within even the conservative Anabaptist circles. And I think a question that keeps kind of surfacing is how should a Christian position himself in a democratic society that welcomes the involvement of all of its citizens? To what extent should a Christian use the tools of a temporary kingdom to advance the eternal kingdom? One of the things I find powerful in this whole thing is Paul's characterization of himself and of believers where he identifies us as strangers and pilgrims in this world. As an introduction to this uh, little look this morning, I would just like to ask you, how do you view yourself? How do you identify yourself? I might just have to kind of jog our thoughts, create kind of a multiple choice question here. So would you consider yourself as a church planter, an ambassador, a Christian, all of the above, or to make a multiple choice question complete, I guess we'd have to add a final option, none of the above. And so that's kind of an introductory question, but maybe before we go into that, I would like to just, um, would like to present this idea that the Western church is facing a serious crisis because of its placement of patriotism and its view of political involvement. And so on this early Saturday morning, might just jog our, our maybe sleepy mind a bit with an insight from a recent Asia Harvest newsletter um, that reflects on the fall of religious freedom in China about a hundred years ago. Um, many of you have probably heard of the name Karl Marx, uh, the, the one who came up with the communist manifesto and shook the political world with new ideas that has gripped a significant part of the world. And in this article, it mentions his father, and I don't know if you would, any of you would know Karl Marx's father or have read about him. His, his name was Heinrich and Heinrich Marx, and he was actually a professing Christian. And so Karl Marx's father was a liberal Christian who had Karl and all of his siblings baptized in the evangelical church of Prussia. And so, you know, sometimes it's amazing how a few steps back some really concerning political views can come from actually a Christian base. 
And so Karl Marx's father um, was, I, I don't know what all his, uh, they characterize it as a liberal uh, evangelical background. I don't know totally how that impacted Karl, but it, it, it took, so certainly took him to a position that was completely outside of the church and with a solution completely outside of kingdom values. And so it was his ideas that ultimately completely stripped China of its religious freedom. That, that's, that's shocking to me. And I would like to then just also give you two voices from um, Western Christianity that I just came across in the past month that I think are worthy of our thinking about. One comes from a well-known uh, Catholic writer, Henry Nouwen. The other one comes from a well-known formerly Southern Baptist uh, writer, Russell Moore. And I'd like to just use that as a little bit of a launching point to uh, what we're going to take a look at this morning. First of all, this is from uh, Henry Nouwen, and it's entitled, God Can Imagine. He says this in one paragraph, so much of our energy, time, and money goes into maintaining distance from one another. Many, if not most of the resources of the world are used to defend ourselves against one another, to maintain or increase our power, and to safeguard our own privileged position. Imagine all that effort being put in the service of peace and reconciliation. Would there be any poverty? Would there be crimes and wars? Just imagine that there was no longer fear among people, no longer rivalry, hostility, bitterness, or revenge. We can say, I can't imagine. But God says, that's what I imagine. A whole world not only created, but also living in my image. That comes from a Catholic writer challenging how we use what God has given us, using it toward reconciliation and God's call of peace rather than toward political advantage and uh, positioning for protecting ourselves. That's from Henry Nouwen. The other is a really fascinating article that's, that was actually put on by Plow Publishing and uh, Russell Moore spoke there and I have the article uh, it'd be worth your reading, and uh, it's possible it could even be posted um, later below this, or you could also email me for it. Uh, but the title of Russell Moore's article is Integrity and the Future of the Church, and in smaller heading it says, Why are so many young people losing faith? And what I find fascinating also is that he in the Southern Baptist uh, tradition has been challenging how deeply that wing of the church has been involved politically and maybe especially with uh, recent um, political leadership. Um, and I'll just quote a few things he said. He was outspoken enough that his 
that the Southern Convention was was challenging him with this and thought that maybe the reason he departed the Southern Baptist um, denomination just in the past year or so was because of that. Uh, he has tried to clarify that it was not only that, but also uh, sexual scandals within his denomination that he felt were not very seriously taken. Uh, but uh, he attributes the huge evangelical fallout of youth to the politicization of the church. Uh, and I find that really kind of fascinating and important for us as an Anabaptist people to be able to hear and take uh, maybe some warning from. I would like to just quote a few things he had to say. Uh, he said that when he was only 15, he was on the verge of uh, suicide. And it was not because he was rejecting Christianity, but because he felt like the Western church was rejecting Christianity. And that was so depressing for him. And he says, we see young evangelicals walking away because they do not believe what the church, not because they don't believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what it teaches. That is a sobering possibility. Uh, in terms of political involvement, he has this to say, uh, and this is where he, he feels like our youth are seeing what we really trust in and where we're looking for solutions. And, and he says he doesn't blame them for being puzzled and maybe even disillusioned. And he says, 20 years ago, I watched people suggesting that it was liberal Baptist theology that allowed many to wave away a president's sexual behavior as irrelevant to his office probably referring to Bill Clinton. Then I lived long enough to watch the same people suggest that those who did not wave away such behavior from another president might not be real Christians. And he, he just sees that in a 20 year period, depending who the figure was in whose party they presented, you could go from saying that that did matter to saying it didn't. And in fact, if you make a big deal of it, are you a real Christian? And he is suggesting that when the church is dealing, is invested in politics in that way, it becomes a very likely and real reason why there's been such a huge exodus of youth out of the evangelical church. I think that is a huge warning for us as an Anabaptist people. I, I really wonder whether the very same phenomena couldn't face us very shortly if we don't take a serious look at this and really consider what is, where is the placement of our, um, of our allegiance and uh, how, what kingdom do we truly value, trust in, and consider worth our entire life. And so that's a background for, for what I would like to share with you. And I had just mentioned uh, those introductory questions as to what you consider yourself. I will just repeat that again. Do you consider yourself primarily as a church planter, an ambassador, a Christian, all of the above, or none of the above? And so that is the foundation for looking uh, a few moments this Saturday morning at this critical and I think essential thing to consider as 
a conservative Anabaptist people, and as any Christian on the Western Front or any place in the world, as to whether our message is going to matter not only to the world, but to our youth. And quite frankly, uh, I see that a number of you aren't at the front edge of youth that are watching. And I feel like many of us are maybe almost on the verge of passing the baton to the next generation. But, you know, these considerations, I think, are going to be so critical as to whether the next generation even wants to grab the baton. And so with that, I'd like to just reflect on that. I would also like to just ask the question, whose politics do you appeal to in a crisis and why? Uh, for instance, I think there's basically two politics or two political platforms from which we can can uh, appeal to. One is the earthly. And of course, for many of us, American, I know we have one uh, Canadian on board at least, and potentially many other countries could be represented here. But um, do you appeal to the earthly uh, politics of the country that you currently reside in or to the heavenly divine and eternal one. I think that is really critical. And often I think in our, um, as to what we would tell someone versus how, what we would truly emotionally and actually rely on can be two very different things. The other thing I'd like for us to think about is whose culture do you advance the most? Um, and I'm thinking of three possibilities. Uh, do you primarily advance your own culture, the culture of those that you are ministering to, or God's culture? I think those are kind of the three big cultures out of which we have a choice as we try to present the gospel uh, in this world. Um, I may possibly at the end, if we have time, but I have this little feeling time might slip away faster than I have time for, might even take a little look at the question of what risks do you consider worthy of the kingdom? Uh, every, every venture we take carries risk. And the, the risk that we will most consider is the risk that we think either temporarily or long-term or both will carry the most uh, benefit. And so as kingdom people, I think it's, it's critical that we realize we are on a very risky venture, but every other venture is also very risky. Which one is worthy of our risk? Uh, that may be something that could be at the end. I, I was really deeply uh, impacted by um, a book or two on that. Uh, but I'm seeing that the writer of that book, Gary Miller, is in this series. So perhaps I should just leave that to him in a later series. Uh, I may not have time for that piece of it uh, anyhow. But I'd like to just get back to the, the multiple choice uh, question at the beginning, where I pose the question, what is your identity? Who do you consider yourself primarily as? I think that's an important thing to think about frequently. Uh, what is my identity? Because we live out of that. We, our ideology comes out of who we consider ourselves to be. And so uh, the first option I gave was a church planter. If you consider yourself a church planter, you might think, okay, so do I find that term anywhere in the Bible? Well, I did a search and I didn't really find those two words right beside each other in the Bible, but I do see that concept in the Bible. 
And uh, one of the, as the disciples of Jesus, who were his apostles, took Jesus's last words deeply seriously and uh, spread new churches all over the Roman Empire. Uh, the word church, if we're going to use the word church planter, originally didn't depict a building with a tall steeple, but it initially meant a called out assembly. And I think sometimes we have lost that vision of the word church. Uh, in terms of the planting, I find it interesting what Paul had to say in First Corinthians, or uh, first, sorry, First Corinthians three six, where he says, "I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase." Where he sees a partnership um, in church planting with God being the primary player but he being a piece of that. And so it's a concept. Uh, the term is a concept that I think you could, could develop uh, a rationale for it, though those two words aren't specifically linked together uh, in the Bible. A possible alternative that I think might be just as thought-provoking as the term church planting might be embassy developing. And I'll flesh that out just a little bit later because um, the, another option that I had given was, do you consider yourself an ambassador? And might just ask you that question, is that term found in scripture? Uh, that's actually found several times in scripture, the word ambassador. And I'm kind of saddened as, as um, kingdom followers that maybe we don't latch onto that more I think it's a very powerful thing. I think of um, our head pastor here in Brooklyn, who um, before the 2016 elections at his secular place of work was asked, do you vote? And he said, no, I'm not allowed to. And they said, why not? And he said, I'm an ambassador. And they were shocked. And they said, why didn't you ever tell us that? And uh, he had a little bit of a curious smile on his face. And so they sensed that maybe there was more behind that answer than what they had initially thought. And so they asked for an explanation. And so he gave the explanation that he is actually an ambassador of another kingdom. And as an ambassador uh, and as a foreigner here and an ambassador of that kingdom, he really doesn't have the right to vote in this kingdom. I thought it was an excellent response. I think we are more likely to give that kind of a response in this culture, if we are really seeing ourselves as truly ambassadors. And so I would like for us just to consider that term a bit. It's found twice in scripture. The first time is in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 20. And uh, the, the second time Paul uses it in Ephesians 6, 20, where he actually says he's an ambassador in chains. How would you like that as an identifier of yourself, that you're an ambassador and the kingdom you're currently involved in isn't, isn't that uh, impressed with you and in fact has you in chains. That was Paul. I'd like for us just to take a look at First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. And actually my Bible is over on the table here. So I'm going to exit the screen just a little bit. I should have it right in front of me here. Somehow I forgot to keep it in front of myself. So uh, I will exit the screen for just a second or two or so to 
to retrieve my Bible. One moment. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul has something beautiful to say here, and it's within an interesting backdrop. I'd like to just, uh, I don't know, it, somehow it just feels like context makes scripture so much more powerful. And I, it's 21 verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to just go ahead and read those 21 verses to you. Um, because it feels to me like a talk like this, unless it has a clear biblical foundation, can very soon become just rooted in man's thought and thinking. So Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, uh, reading the, the 21 verses that are there. And I'm reading in the ESV uh, translation. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleased with him, to be pleasing to him. Notice that his whole heart is to please his king. It's not a human, it's not an earthly uh, government, but his whole ambition, he says, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, which basically he's saying, whether in heaven or here on earth, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in our consciences. We are not, again, commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of God controls us, or in some translations, constrains us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on, our, on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. 
the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20 is that powerful verse. Therefore, because of all that we have just taken a look at, because our ambition is to please Christ, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here is the most compelling passage in scripture, I believe, for Christians to consider themselves to be ambassadors. In fact, Paul is saying, because we have experienced Christ's work of reconciliation, we are now in a position to present that work of reconciliation as an ambassador, as a representative of Jesus Christ himself. And so verse 20, where he says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. So the ministry of reconciliation places all who have given their full allegiance uh, to the king to be in the position of being Christ's ambassadors. And that we become like God's mouthpiece, where God is making his appeal through us. An amazing opportunity and purpose. I, don't, I can't think of a higher purpose. Um, if we were suddenly interrupted, for instance, uh, in this Zoom call, and President Biden somehow is able to enter this Zoom call, and he says, you know, I've been noticing that uh, you are a unique group of men who are willing to get up on a Saturday morning when most men would want to be sleeping. And I see that you have a real heart to represent a kingdom. I would like to just at this point appoint you to be my ambassadors. I've got a few uh, vacancies. I'd like to place you in those vacancies. Um, that would be a bit shocking. And in fact, I suspect, even though I hope all of you might turn down that offer, I suspect most of you might connect with your families about that unique uh, experience. But what if instead this morning, in the middle of the Zoom call, Jesus himself would have a supernatural um, interruption and he'd say, you know, I see this quality in each of you and I really want you to be my ambassadors and I have specific places on earth for you, specific locations, and I'm asking you for that. And in fact, I'm going to have you totally represent me in that. I'll give you my power. I'll give you my authority. I'll give you my, my purposes. Um, how would that affect you? You know, sometimes I think there is something about an invitation on an earthly level that can grab us more deeply than an invitation on a heavenly level. But as kingdom people, uh, I just urge us to give this some serious thought. 
you indeed have actually been given that that call through scripture, through God, to be an ambassador of his. I'd like to just mention something from branches worldwide uh, as to their uh, reflections on what it means to be an ambassador. I think sometimes uh, not having been involved as intensely in the political realm, um, some of these terms, we may not even think too deeply when we read scripture and we are called to be an ambassador. And so what does that actually look like? What does that mean? And so here is an interesting uh, reflection on what it means to be an ambassador uh, from branches worldwide. Here's a quote. An ambassador is one who is sent to represent one country or government to another. While in the other country, the ambassador presents and demonstrates all the best that their country, their home country or government has to offer. Since you're representing God's government and his abilities, you have access to all the best he has to offer. That's from branches worldwide. I'd like for you to notice that uh, in the passage we just read in 2 Corinthians 5, um, Paul says that our true home is heaven. That is our home country. Philippians 3.20, Paul declares, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. John 17.14 says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. First Peter 2.11 says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage against the soul. So what are some characteristics of a good ambassador? One person suggests three major characteristics of a good ambassador. A strong sense of patriotism to their home country. Always aware that there are, they are a minority in their host country entirely grounded in good ethical and moral judgment. Those are three characteristics of a good ambassador and that comes from a secular source. And so if we've established our home country, then that first point, strong sense of patriotism to their home country is powerful. And the passages that I just read about being strangers and pilgrims, uh, as the way that uh, the New Testament presents the believer to be. The second point is always aware they are a minority in their host country. Are you at peace with that? Does that resonate with you? Are you okay with that? I think sometimes we feel kind of threatened by that and feel like we somehow need to compensate for that. And the third one, entirely grounded in good ethical and moral judgment that should characterize us. But as Russell Moore was reflecting, he feels like the church increasingly is hiding its moral corruption. And that is not, that is not really selling the church very well to its, to its youth. I'd like to now present uh, marks of an ambassador of God. Uh, one of those marks is, he must be a citizen of heaven. You can really not be an ambassador for Christ without being a citizen of heaven. 
It requires that citizenship. You must be above reproach. Philippians 2.15 says that. You must be selfless in 1 Corinthians 15.31. We must be in constant contact with the king, with the throne of God. We must be steadfast and loyal to that kingdom. We must be diplomatic. Uh, in James 1.5, it talks about how we must be diplomatic. And we must know the language of the people among whom we live. And uh, that in Luke 10, 33 to 35, uh, it represents that. And so those are some marks of an ambassador. I think it's things we really need to think about if we're gonna take seriously our role as an ambassador in our short time here. Here are some more things to think about as an ambassador. An ambassador that really doesn't appoint himself. Uh, you can't just decide this morning that because you like America, you're going to be an ambassador for America and you can't appoint yourself. Likewise, in the kingdom of heaven, you can't really appoint yourself. God is the one who does it. And so uh, we don't appoint ourselves. We don't support ourselves. Um, Paul says, my God shall supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. Uh, sometimes we try to do it on our own. Uh, an ambassador does not belong to the country to which he is sent. He does not enter a country for his personal interest. And he has instruction in written form, which for us is scripture. And he does not take insult personally. That is an amazing gift as an ambassador. You know, if you're an ambassador of the U.S. to the Soviet Union or wherever, and they level an insult at you, you have the freedom to pass on that insult. Um, you are merely a representative. And that insult, you are not America. You are only representing America. And I believe as followers of Christ, when we can really understand that we are ambassadors, we can take a much, much calmer view on insults. In fact, Paul was frequently insulted. Jesus was frequently insulted and didn't feel obligated to defend himself. That is an, a unique and a wonderful privilege of an ambassador. And it's also the highest possible calling. And for being an ambassador of the heavenly kingdom, you actually are in a position right now to be uh, representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords uh, while in a very, very broken world whose uh, leadership is very short at best. And you can instead be representing leadership that has been in eternity past and will be there for eternity future. That is the unique and amazing role of being an ambassador. Here's an article that was from David F. Moss. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He was in an article in, uh, in a magazine called Forerunner in 2004. He has this to say, having our citizenship in the kingdom of God by definition makes us aliens in the physical country in which we live. Like ambassadors of a foreign government, we cannot participate in the politics of another country, a practice that would distract us from our real spiritual goal. However, we realize that the apostle, that the apostle Paul has challenged us to be ambassadors for Christ. And he quotes from 2 Corinthians 5.20, which we've done several times, but I will just quote it again. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God 
were pleading through us. We implore you on God, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5.20. And uh, once more from branches worldwide, I'd like to, to read this quote. In sum, all ambassadors have one thing in common. They believe in the mission, goals, values of the country, communities, and businesses they represent. And they're willing to share it with others. We are called to be strangers in this world, not to blend in, but proudly represent and ad advocate Christ within our countries, communities, and businesses, as well as we possibly can. That was from Branches Worldwide. Does this role as a Christian excite you? I hope it does as you see more thoroughly what ambassadorship really involves and who it allows us to be connected with. The third option I had given was, uh, do you identify yourself as a Christian? Well, I trust. I don't really think you would be listening to this probably unless you were, unless you are a seeker. And if you're a seeker, welcome to this and uh, welcome to the possibility of being an ambassador. But um, I would say, if you claim if your identity is a Christian, then I think the next option, all the above, really should be your identity. As a Christian, the call of Jesus, his last words on earth, are a call that I believe every Christian should seriously take and embrace. And if so, then indeed you are a church planter. And I think even more clearly and more exciting, you are an ambassador. And if all of that's certainly a Christian, if you aren't that, then unfortunately the only option left is none of the above. Another term um, that this journey of preparing for for this speech and I had, or this uh, presentation, and I had originally given this presentation this summer at a church planting forum. Uh, and uh, it was from that that I was asked if I would present this. But uh, in the journey of preparing for this, um, I came to the conclusion that maybe it could be good for us as conservative Anabaptist uh, biblicists to consider replacing the term church planting with embassy developers. Um, because if we are ambassadors of Christ, then our work is out of embassies here on earth. And perhaps the church is the most fitting embassy from which believers work out of. The church is that safe place within that foreign land, that place where those who represent that particular country are united and are together. And so to develop embassies on earth is to develop, I think, churches on earth, places where people who realize they are strangers and pilgrims and are merely presenting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords have a temporary uh, fellowship point and a community point um, to be gathered together. Um, wouldn't the church be the spiritual embassy that is representing the high king and that uh, we as aliens can uh, gather together at and develop 
here in our short time here on earth. Um, it's our place of protection in the foreign country. Uh, it's the body of ambassadors assembled together in an earthly physical location. And so uh, shouldn't all ambassadors be developers and planters of emphasis across this foreign earth um, to develop a huge array of uh, embassies across this temporary world. I'd like to just do a quick little reflection on whose politics do you appeal to and rely on? I really think that ultimately there are only two options, either the temporary earthly one or the divine eternal one. Uh, so either earthly or heavenly politics. I, I really feel I've just increasingly sensed that we kind of have a way of almost speaking out of two sides of our mouth so easily as conservative Anabaptists. I think that our, our official position is that we have divine Christ politics. But increasingly, I sense that our actual emotional, intellectual uh, place of reasoning and thinking may actually be coming out of the earthly and American mindset of politics. And that when we are in a crisis, we might run to the earthly embassy instead of to the divine embassy. Our first call might be 911 rather than um, uh, heaven 11. And so um, I think we increasingly are maybe in a transitional place where our um, emotional and our intellectual positions are maybe in conflict with what we would say that biblically we would believe in. I think that is a serious and a critical place that we stop and really take some careful, close look at. Jesus made it clear uh, that his place of allegiance and loyalty and trust in John 18, 36, when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is not is from another place. Jesus himself was actually um, finding his greatest challenge not to be from without, but to be from within. And he said that um, to prevent uh, that challenge, um, he, he really the challenge was coming from Jewish leaders. It wasn't coming from the Roman leaders. And honestly, I think that's often where our ideology finds its greatest challenge. And, uh, but Jesus says, it's not of this world. If it were, my servants would use those tools to fight to prevent arrest. Matthew 6, Jesus has this to say when he's asked how to pray. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, while on earth, was saying, I want your kingdom, Heavenly Father, to come. He was telling his disciples, that's how you're, in fact, supposed to pray. And is that how we are praying? Is that what our ambition is for? That while we are in our short little journey here on earth, um, our daily prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, not just in heaven, but right here on earth. For me, right here in this classroom, as it is in heaven, is that 
what drives us. I believe when Jesus gave that in the Lord's Prayer, he gave it to be the ambition of his followers as they, as they actually pray his prayer. John 6, 38, it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, Jesus speaking, but the will of the one who sent me. Jesus himself, when he came here, wasn't here on his own ambition, on his own uh, purpose and initiative. It was here because of the one who sent him. He, in effect, was an ambassador. He's the chief ambassador. He was the first ambassador, the first one to come from that kingdom, to come here and re represent the king in flesh to the people here. And so I would say, as ambassadors of the highest and most enduring of all kingdoms, our allegiance and thus our reliance must be on the king of kings. If I were to have time, I would mention where the question of allegiance was really put to the test for me when I taught in the public school in Kansas. And I didn't use the Pledge of Allegiance in the public school system. And after teaching there for about seven years, uh, one of the teachers who was very uh, patriotic discovered that I wasn't doing that. And behind my back, um, went to the principal, went to the school board, went to the superintendent of the district and told me that and, uh, and told them that that was the case that I wasn't doing the Pledge of Allegiance. It, it brought about quite um, a series of interactions on quite a few levels uh, that probably shook me about as much as anything. I thought that all of us as teachers in that public school were professing Christians. I felt incredibly betrayed um, and suddenly was realizing that the kingdom Christian is on a pretty narrow path and that if his allegiance is going to be thoroughly and completely the king of kings, he's going to bump into it even within professing Christendom. I think I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but I'd like to just think a little bit about whose culture do you advance the most? So here we are. We're ambassadors. We're actually not uh, even representing a local culture per se. Uh, we are representing another culture. Uh, and so whose, do we, whose culture do we represent? And I think sometimes the word culture has come on really tough and difficult times and is almost a dirty word. Um, I don't think it needs to be because all of us uh, began life on earth with a set of parents. And we, we are introduced into their culture, the culture that they live and so often that either becomes a source of inferiority or superiority. And either of those uh, views of the culture from which God placed us uh, can really, I think, uh, make it hard to enter into another person's culture. Um, God didn't intend for us to either view the culture that we were uh, raised in to create inferiority or superiority. Um, for the believer, I believe there's parts of our culture that are rooted in scripture and are very valuable. But unfortunately, all of us also absorb probably more of the culture around us than we realize. And any part of that culture that is against scripture needs to be rooted out. And so the other option that I gave was as we consider culture and, and we're thinking of whose do we advance the most do we advance ours the most 
theirs the most or God's the most. Uh, I think it's also important that we value their culture if we're going to be ambassadors. Paul himself said, to the Jew, I became a Jew uh, to win the Jews. And he said, I have become all things to all people so that by all means, I might win some. So Paul was not uh, averse to other cultures. And in fact said, to the extent that I can, I actually um, embrace their cultures and I become like that culture so that I can um, present the ultimate culture to them. And the final thing that I mentioned is, well, I might just review. So are you primarily trying, as you live here on this short journey on earth, are you primarily trying to advance your culture, the people's culture you're interacting with, or God's culture? I believe that kingdom values are developed out of the king's book. And that actually creates a unique culture uh, that I believe ends up transcending all uh, regional cultures. And uh, that is a culture that's driven by the values of Jesus. And those are the values that the apostles taught. And those were the values that they urged to be embraced. They also were in a bit of a cultural war as suddenly the Jewish world was called to embrace the Gentile world, which probably all of us listeners are a part of. And so we really aren't the original Christian culture. And in fact, the early Jewish culture was wrestling with how easily can we even embrace Gentiles? And yet Paul was appealing that they take a look at what are really kingdom values? What are the things that are at the core of the Christian message that we should be asking of Gentiles? I think that's a critical thing for us to think about in our short uh, journey of representing the King of Kings here on earth. And so I would like to just quickly wrap this up uh, with a re reflection on ambassadorship. I, somehow it just feels like that is really the nugget that should drive Christians. And so ambassadorship for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords places us in a very unique position where we have ultimate power, ultimate authority, ultimate honor, because it's not our honor, it's the honor of the king. Uh, ultimate value, because it goes way beyond any value we could bring into it. It's the values of his kingdom and the ultimate hope and the ultimate future and the ultimate resources. Our resources are so incredibly limited, but if we are representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we can actually dip into his resources. And this is all true because of who we represent, the God of all, the God of all power, the God of all authority, of all honor, of all value, of all hope, of all future, and of all resources. I would urge us to not be like Esau, uh, where the Bible says, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. I'm afraid that as Western Christians and more specifically as conservative evangelical, uh, conservative event, conservative Anabaptists, I'm sorry, we are actually considering selling our birthright for a very temporary meal. I'm worried about that. I really see that. I see us increasingly be defensive of political parties, of increasingly entering discussions with saying we, the, as though it represented us, 
I see that happening. And I think of the warning in Hebrews 12, 16, who urges us not to be like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. That is something that I feel is at the heart of my concern in considering this topic. Esau was so focused on an immediate solution, he was willing to exchange it for a lasting solution. Uh, he was placing allegiance, trust, reliance. I, I would just say that whenever we place allegiance, trust, reliance on earthly politics rather than the politics of our heavenly king, we are following the spirit and the short-sightedness of Esau. I think it's so easy to miss Jesus. And I think if we miss Jesus, our children will too. I'm worried about that. Russell Moore is seeing that happening in the huge exodus within the larger evangelical church. I think if we just take a look back, we see that the Jews missed their Messiah because they were wanting their Messiah to free them from external political oppression. And they totally lost their opportunity to be freed from a much greater issue, that internal spiritual bondage. I'm afraid that current evangelical American Christianity is also expecting Jesus to free us through the political platform of some very temporary things. And that in the process, we may also, like the Jews, we might miss his intention for us to be fully freed spiritually um, because we're not totally and fully relying on a spiritual platform and are exchanging that with a temporary earthly platform. So that wraps up what I have to say. Um, and uh, so I turn it over to you. All right. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. Uh, enjoyed this this session you you shared with us. There was a lot of good insights there. I uh, feel like it was a great introduction to our our theme, political ambassadors. So thank you for doing this. So we're going to open it up for more comments and questions. But I'll kick it off with this question um, that comes to my mind: What are some practical ways? Um, and I think you referred to a few. But what are some practical ways we can display a strong sense of patriotism for our kingdom? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I wonder how much as conservative and a Baptist, we've, we've discussed this. Uh, how much does it represent our, our, for instance, our messages on Sunday mornings? How much may it represent a Wednesday evening discussion, how much may it uh, be present in our um, Sunday school sessions? How much might it be present in our conversations? Uh, it feels like maybe that is, uh, our conversations reflect maybe our core values as much as anything. And so maybe it should begin with our conversations. Uh, if that is where uh, our heart is, and it, that is where we see the answer. All right, yeah, I uh, really appreciate that focus on where our focus, our heart, 
our conversation is it, it will come out and uh yeah some circles you're in you hear a lot about the politics of this world and if we could replace that common theme with the politics of the eternal kingdom would be would be good growth to see in my own life and, and in other circles all right well um anybody else have a question for dwight or a comment just uh, unmute yourself and feel free to share This is John Martin. I really do appreciate the uh, message. But my question is, uh, do we have a problem that the gospel has not been presented as a kingdom gospel? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been there's been a tremendous amount of emphasis that our kingdom is in heaven. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is just a preparation to get to get there. Uh, I grew up without hearing anything about the church as a kingdom. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a lot of emphasis on the church. I guess I would say probably my impression was uh, the church existed to get us ready to go to heaven. Hmm. It didn't exist as an entity, uh, a political entity, if I may use that term, hmm. on this earth. Uh, we didn't conceive of ourselves as as representing the kingdom necessarily. We were, we were getting ready to go to heaven when we die. Hmm. Uh, you might make some comment on that. Do you, do you really feel like we have... Uh, presented our people with a, a well-rounded kingdom gospel? Yeah, excellent question. And honestly, perhaps that is at the root of making us so vulnerable to the larger evangelical solutions to the world problems and the local problems we face, because that, that focus is missing. Uh, I, I think you make a, a very excellent and important point. And Frankly, I find it interesting that when the disciples came to Jesus and they they were at a loss to even know how to pray, uh, that Jesus includes that value very central to his prayer that he gives to his to his disciples and that I think he gives to all believers. And there he doesn't say your kingdom come uh, soon or after we leave this earth. And in fact, he wraps it up by saying on earth as it is in heaven. And so I think Jesus was trying to establish that mindset that that kingdom is happening right now already, and it will extend on into heaven. And to me, that is what gives impetus to evangelize. That's what gives a depth and reason to be here. And I think if we don't have that as foundational, our youth and our adults really won't feel that invested in in advancing the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, I know what that message did to me, because until then, my concept of my Christianity was very individualistic. It was all about me. Uh, It was all about my relationship with Jesus, which, of course, is important. But that was it. It, it, I, I think we need to see our salvation as a means to an end, not an end in itself. Uh, we can't be kingdom members until we uh, surrender to the king. So that is important, but it's a means to an end, not to get to heaven primarily, but to uh, realize his kingdom here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Very good. I enjoyed those thoughts, brothers. Anyone else yet? This is uh, Joe Kurtz here. Um, thank you, Dwight, for this uh, message this morning. I was really <clears throat> blessed by the the uh, 
thoughts about that that God can God can imagine, and that's really really stirred me this morning. And uh, thank you, Dwight, for helping helping us to imagine this morning how it could look like. And I was a question for you. I was thinking about the the ambassadors and what should an ambassador do in the time of war. Mm-hmm. So an ambassador in another country, you know, if the U.S. has ambassadors in Afghanistan, I'm sure they were rushing in, swooping in, and getting them out as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Does it look a little different for ambassadors in Jesus' kingdom? Uh, that's an excellent question. And, you know, um, maybe that's one place where an earthly ambassadorship with a heavenly breaks down. Because um, if you're involved on the earthly front and the earthly is all you've got, then um, when things get tough, you, you want to evacuate to your true place of protection. I think there's ways in which Paul might have felt that a little bit. Uh, Paul was facing some really, really hard times for being an ambassador in the Roman Empire. And uh, there were times when Paul actually said that to be absent would be a lot nicer. I think maybe he wouldn't have minded sometimes a divine, uh, you know, evacuation because things were getting really ugly for him. And yet he said that for me to live is Christ, uh, to die is gain. Uh, but he chose to let his king decide how long he's here. And so the idea of escape, uh, I think that should be left in the hands of our king. And I think sometimes we ha- we carry that mindset into the risks that we face here on earth too much. And we think more like an earthly ambassadorship rather than a heavenly ambassadorship as to our safety mechanism if things get bad. Amen. Very good. This is Dwight's older brother, Dwayne. So glad to be here this morning, <clears throat> and thank you, Dwight, for those thoughts. Uh, they resonate with me an awful lot, and I share the, what is it, a, a certain fear about where it seems like we're headed. <clears throat> it just uh, occurred to me that maybe one of the the difficulties that we have as, uh, or being ambassadors for Christ as we should be, and thinking of the earthly example that we have, <clears throat> there's a lot of U.S. ambassadors, or I would say some, that are in countries where they would be considered as allies. And so I see that probably the relationship with that ambassador to the country is somewhat different than in a country where there is uh, actual uh, enemy or there is conflict. And so I was wondering if one of the problems that we're facing is that we kind of consider our earthly uh, presence here or the, the country we we're, we're in, maybe we consider it as somewhat of an ally. We're not, we're not uh, opposing, we're not enemies. And doesn't that create a, a real difficulty in us being, true ambassadors. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's an excellent point. And I think increasingly I, the, the passage in second Corinthians five 
um, verse, I think it's about verse five, no, verse nine. It says, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent. And I think there he's talking about whether being an ambassador away from heaven uh, to be pleasing to him. And I think whenever in our relationships here on earth, that is threatened or that is substituted or that is compromised, uh, then we are, we are in dangerous territory. And I think the church has increasingly wanted to be friends with government in order to gain benefits. And it's certainly nice. And the Bible talks about where we should pray that we can live a quiet and peaceable life. It doesn't say we should politic so we can have a quiet and peaceable life. And so uh, I think it's a valid desire as Christians. But I think when we politic to get it, it does reveal our placement of trust. Thank you for that. Um, so I just wanted to bring to your attention here, Dwight, there was some positive comments came in on the chat. Um, I'll just read them off. Beautifully, scripturally enlightening for me, Mr. Nisley. Thank you very much by uh, Joel Suggs. And then uh, we have one from Michael Zare. Amen. Very good insights. Inspires me to be the ambassador that God wants of me. Another one, Conrad says, thanks for a good message. Amen. So uh, blessings, brother, for using your time to share this with us this morning. So uh, we'll uh, close with prayer and maybe, uh, Brother Dwight, do you want to lead us? And then after prayer, I'll uh, share next week's uh, presentation we look forward to. All right. Go yeah. for it. Lord Jesus, we are in an amazingly privileged position. Those who at one point had rebelled against you and um, really don't deserve anything but uh, eternal fire. You've redeemed us. And then in that redeeming, you placed on us a special call to be your ambassadors, your, your, voice, uh, your voice, your mouthpiece, uh, here on this earth. And thank you so much that we can do that with uh, your authority and with your power and um, with your resources. We so often feel very uh, limited. And so, Lord Jesus, could you somehow within the body of Christ place a fresh vision of our purpose here on earth and I just pray that somehow we could be driven beyond all else to please you as our king and that your kingdom would truly come and your will would be done here on earth in the very places that each of us have been called to uh, like it is in heaven. Oh Lord, uh, help us to not be satisfied with anything less. And so really guide us, in, equip us, empower us and advance your church because your church is so uh, the only hope uh, in this broken world. And you as the king are the only worthy one to give our allegiance to. And so really guide us in that, I pray. Bless everyone who um, who's on this chat and just really guide your kingdom forward. May it truly come and may your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, invite everybody back again next week, Saturday morning.
Uh, we are looking forward to having Brother John D. Um, share with us his favorite topic. So I'm looking forward to that, the kingdom of God. Um, come back again if you can. And I'll just give this as an encouragement right now. If you are on this Zoom uh, meeting with us, I really encourage you to, if you're sitting down in front of a computer with a camera, to turn it on and uh, we can see who's part of this community. We love having you um, with us. So um, just an encouragement. We're not <laughs> demanding you to, but I uh, wouldn't mind seeing more faces. All right. Well, um, that's everything. And uh, God go with you all and uh, have a good week. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. <laughs>